Hi, welcome to Mechanations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast. This is our premiere episode. I'm one of your hosts, Ignis Maddox. I am the Mercenary Raven, PMC Trilogy. I'm just paid to be here. Hey, hey, uh, Stephen Hero here. Uh, thank you for tuning into this, our premiere episode. This is uh, we are real three real life friends with a long running history for for discussion, critique, uh, analysis. Uh, we've known each other decade plus. I'm actually not sure. It's it's, it's more than that. It's like right? 17 years, I think. No. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ignis no. and I go back the furthest to roughly when Gundam Wing began ish. Oh, spoiler. Right. That's okay. So I would have met you boys when I was a freshman in high school, which would put the date on that in the fall of 2002. So actually, we, how Kingdom Hearts three? How long have you been waiting for since the first one? That's probably that dates us. That's carbon dating for wow. at least Ignis and I. I think that's true. Actually, yeah. well, so for spoilers, as far as where when we're recording this, we are mere days away from the launch of Kingdom Hearts three. Not the topic of our podcast. Uh, we we've known each other for a long time. We've had lots of personal discussions about things that we enjoy, media, video games, you know, that sort of thing. And we thought it was time to start to canonize it we would record it and release it for the people we love canon oh, i was about to say that uh before we start off with our first project by the way we're going to be focusing on mecha anime in particular uh we i don't know if we chose this for any particular reason other than we it's just one of the things that we all three of us are interested in yeah i think it's it, gundam wing is important because it's a foundational text for our interest in mecha anime uh certainly as we describe our own backgrounds we will be talking about how we were primed, I think, for the arrival of Gundam Wing in various ways. But in terms of specifically mecha anime, I would say Gundam Wing is, the regardless of the value and merit of Gundam Wing, it is definitely the foundational text for our interest in, in, Gun, in mecha anime. Yeah, for most people in the U.S., it's an ur text, a foundational text for all things mech. That, and for me, Front Mission 3. Oh, that's, that's excellent. That's I remember that's I went correct. to Funkoland with my mom, as you do in the 90s, and I traded in a bunch of games expecting a windfall, but I got a good amount, like probably $80. Uh, the guy bad. at the counter, I remember, pushed the membership, so I got a copy of Game Informer as well. Cool. And then he was, I think just, I asked him about games, you know, I, I was at that time, I'm sure I mentioned I was interested, I like Japanese RPGs, your Final Fantasies, etc. And I think he recommended Front Mission, he definitely recommend, recommended from Mission 3, I picked it up, loved it, and I think that was one of the first exposures to mech in general for me, because I didn't really touch too many Super Nintendo mech games, maybe zero, and at that time, I wasn't knee-deep in anime like I would be a few years after. Yeah, I think for me, I had a PS1 demo disc that had one of the uh, demos for the first Armored Core. And so that directly... That Jersey Devil? Is that the Silent Hill one? Yeah, well, I, I forget. It was, Jersey Devil was definitely on one demo disc. Blast on it? It had a Jet Moto Tech yeah. 2 uh, level, maybe. Man, demo and, discs. Yeah, demo discs are crazy. Pour one out. Uh, you know, actually, I'm sorry. I just have to mention this. Uh, my partner apparently has uh, a dozen PS2 official PS Magazine demo discs that she's going to give to me. What? Wow, and I'm going to stream those. That's excellent. So look forward to that. Twitch.tv slash PMC Trilogy. And so the uh, so anyway that directly primed me and that's again one of the things you know you mentioned from Mission Three which I did get to later after after Gundam Wing but for, for me definitely Armored Core not quite as stylized as Gundam Wing but was you know something that uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into. 
Yeah, so I, I was going to transition us into sort of introductory talks for each other, but I, I feel like we kind of just did that. Yeah, we did bit. a little bit of that. I think you know it might be helpful. I'll, I'll lead off here and just give some of my specific background. Again, PMC Trilogy here. Uh, in terms of my personal knowledge, I've spent a lot of time playing music, uh, years playing trumpet, piano, guitar. I have some academic background in electrical engineering and law. Uh, and as far as my show watching goes, and you can tell from all those things that I necessarily haven't formally uh, studied, uh, you know, analyzing uh, works of art. But certainly, I think at this point uh, in my in my old age, uh, I am interested in looking for for thematic frameworks. I love to watch a show. Like for example, I just finished re- rewatching Bebop, and rewatching Bebop, I was really interested in looking at all the characters and saying, how does this character deal with their past? How do they accept their their past? Or in you know, in the case of the lead, do not accept the the outcome of their past. Uh, and so that really holds a lot of meaning for me. Additionally, I also love looking at the speculative fiction elements of shows. You know, when I see a little invention, a little convenience, I say, what is the impact of this? And, you know, how does it matter? And that's certainly something that I hope to bring up in the episodes going forward. And one more bit, I am extremely online. Uh, so I have a tendency often to invoke memes and the hottest of hot take discourse. Uh, <laughs> I can only hope that you guys will enjoy that. Yeah, I'm like an old man living in a tree in a distant forest. I am, I'm Stephen Hero again. Uh, like many people listening to this podcast, I've recently turned 30. I'm recently married. Been a fan of Japanese anime and games since I was a kid, like I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast. I come from an academic background. I just completed my master's in English. I teach literature for a living. I like to make cross-disciplinary connections, as I feel like I'm on a job interview here. Um, like any good academic, my allegiance to any particular school of thought is more fluid than not, but expect a fair dose of post-structural ramblings, Marxist ramblings, feminist ramblings, things like that. Fuck yeah. Uh, so yeah, to, to, uh, piggyback off that, I'm Ignis Maddox. Uh, I think typically I I will, hopefully not, hopefully I'll avoid this, but I, I may be tarred with the spoiler boy, uh, handle here. Uh, I have a tendency to be a little bit blasé about pot spoilers because I, have a personal philosophy about spoilers not really mattering very much. We'll I, get into that. At this at this age too, I consume so much media. I don't give a shit about spoilers. I won't remember it. I so I gotta. I, okay, we gotta let and me finish my intro because yeah, otherwise say, you, you can tie this into your intro. Um, I feel like this is very core to the Ignis Maddox philosophy. So I mean, so in general, I I, I tend to be more character focused in my in my critique. I, I I will tend to care more about the the broad strokes of the narrative than the sort of micro the micro aspects of the narrative like the yeah, plot n- none of us are really too beholden to verisimilitude or this idea of inter world authenticity right i i think that i i think in general when especially when it comes to the discussion of spoilers like what we, you're gonna find is someone who examines like critically material like this has become so familiar with signifiers that that the idea of like a, a plot event being the anyway sorry <laughs> i did it again it no, started to please. happen I'm going to be the shonen guy of the three of us. I'm I'm the one who's, who's probably consumed the most as far as when I say shonen. In case people don't aren't familiar with the term, it, it refers to I wouldn't call it a genre necessarily. It's it's more like a, uh, uh, a feeling. A, yeah, like a, <laughs> yeah, you'd feel it deep inside of yourself. You find when you watch shonen that that the thing that you were looking for all along was was inside of you. Yeah. Um, Specifically, of course, referring to Shonen Jump, but if you use the term generally, it's just, this is a generalization, of course, but anime 
you know, generated and marketed to young boys. Yeah, the term just means young boy, um, and it is shorthand at this point in in uh, the in anime in particular for certain kinds of sort of st- structural, like uh, uh, very rote. Some might say very uh, adventuresome. Tend yeah. to be very long running, two hundred plus episodes. Yeah, friendship focused. It tends to be you know toyetic. You know, uh, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, is toyetic so? And some of the podcasts I listen to, they use the word toyetic. Is that would I find that in Webster's dictionary, or is it canonized in the discourse on the web? I think it is canonized in the discourse. I do That's not I believe figure. it is. Does, uh, it, does that mean what it sounds like? It means yeah. It just means that it it lends itself to producing toys. Okay. As as, as far as I'm aware, that is what how okay. I was using it just now. Yeah. Is that lends That's itself to producing toys? Yeah, that that follows. Yeah. So you know, I'm gonna be like you know, I'm gonna be more interested in the emotions the narrative is trying to make me feel, even if even if that's manipulative. I'm I'm a total sucker. Right. I'm also gonna right. be. Tropes are good, guy. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Gundam Wing, today at 5.30. Suit up. So, I'm um, getting a signal here from the space colony that we're transmitting from that we're going to be moving into our main topic of discussion for this week and the weeks moving forward, Gundam Wing. Uh, Gundam Wing was, in, as we discussed, one of the, the first shows that was aired on a mainstream network, Toonami, at, at mainstream times. Probably in the afternoon, like right. four or five p.m. And Toonami at that time being really an experimental block on Cartoon Network. Oh yeah, they, yeah, they didn't expect it to succeed. The execs at Cartoon Network at the time. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like it, in hindsight it, that Toonami was very much a sort of like pirate radio sort of feel to mm-hmm. it, right? Like they they didn't really have like a host. Like it was Moltar at first, I think, right? Moltar, from yeah, Space Moltar Coast. was original. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then they transitioned into uh, Stephen Dad Bloom in uh, in the role of Tom, I believe. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep. that. Uh, in any case, though, why don't we start with a bit of a history lesson behind what went down over at Sunrise and uh, Bondi and Toonami, or I guess Cartoon Network. Wow, Toonami too. Interestingly enough, there's not a whole lot published about Gundam Wing, which we'll get to. I have a theory, not you know, it's not an in-depth theory, but I have an idea as to why that might be. Right. So even if if you were to try to do a deep dive on the internet for Gundam Wing interviews, I'm sure there's quite a bit fair bit more in japan in art books and the like but in the u.s at least translate there's not too much so i've been pulling from like i don't know four or five interviews here but you can't talk about gundam wing without talking about what came before it all right so hot on the heels of mobile fighter g gundam known better as g gundam especially in the states excellent sunrise the parent company wanted to fast track a new gundam show g gundam began airing in april 1994 Sunrise execs approach Hideyuki Tomioka that June to begin development on a new show. Tomioka agreed, but he knew that production was going to be rushed and the timetable tight. You'll see this reoccurring throughout when we talk about production. There wasn't a whole lot of time to make Gundam Wing, which you might get the feeling for, especially if you're re-watching with, with us. Now, I don't want to stop you when, now when we just got started in, into our history here. Have I, in my light like you know experience of of looking into these projects like these television shows and stuff like that has there ever been one where there was plenty of time where where like everyone was cool there was no i just feel like it's it's one of those things that goes into and this might just speak to labor practices in general but like i i have a hard time imagining so much is hidden well we could all instinctually know that japanese labor practices that's, and japanese work culture isn't healthy that's what i was gonna say was that i feel like especially i'm thinking about ano right now hideki yeah. ano like mm-hmm. as far as like or or you know uh uh manga artist uh uh, uh togashi from hunter hunter speaks a lot about the labor of making 
mm. uh, manga and anime. So it just occurred to me. Off yeah, top it's my usually head. funding reasons too. I mean, not everyone has the luxury of I don't know. Ghibli in the last two decades, I mean, they work feverishly, but sure. Miyazaki can and friends can definitely massage a script and work on a film for years. Right. Okay. Which, of course, Sunrise and the Gundam industry in general, just it being an industry, doesn't have the luxury to do. Right. No, it's a machine in yeah. very much in the way that that the the artists over at Ghibli aren't in the same way. Yeah, I think what's what's interesting is for, for me, I feel like right now, especially in 2019, uh, labor practices are something very much coming to the forefront in the world of uh, game development as game development matures and the gaming industry matures. Right. Uh, and so I think it's going to be interesting to look at this and discuss some of these labor practice issues. And consider that really, at that point, animation has been around for much longer than, you know, so like games right now, we're like, what, three, four decades into sort of there being an industry. Right. Uh, Animation at that point in the early 90s has been around for decades. Right. Yeah. uh, For, I mean, as FOR decades, I don't know if you would say it's been around longer or shorter than that. I'm not not enough of an animation buff to lay out that general history timeline. Right. But it's just something I'm kind of thinking about just that this is folks. It's always relevant to talk about the labor conditions under which is something is made. Right. I mean, unfortunately it seems like we're, we're, we're making a lot of broad strokes assumptions. Uh, you know, we, yeah, no, uh, you know, all three of us are vaguely aware of, of work culture in Japan. Uh, you know, it, it seems like there is definitely not unlike here. There's an emphasis put on the hard work itself being a a virtue. Yeah, right? you know? I think there there's, there can be a belief that the that the the sort of suffering is necessary nece- necessary for uh for good productivity, which is not. Uh, an assumption that stands up to uh, to uh, to being scrutinized. In right. Japan, there's this parental relationship between the company and the employee. Like you'll give your life literally and figuratively to the company, and the company will then provide for you. That's kind of in yeah. 2019. That idea is kind of evaporating a bit. Right. But when you're with the company, you'll rise through quote unquote merit. And that company will be there to protect you to the end of your days. Right. right. Well, and that, that was something that existed in mid 20th century America as well. That idea, you know, I mean, we I can look at my grandparents' generation and you see people were lifelong Bell Telephone employees. Uh, but you really don't see that with younger generations at this point. And it sounds to me like maybe, uh, you know, again, broad strokes here, maybe that was just a few decades delayed yeah. In, yeah. in Japan. It still exists in Japan, though. And you'll see many of the people we talk about still work. For Sunrise. Right. They are, many of them graduated to executive status. Yeah, having read ahead a little bit, we'll see. Yeah, exactly what you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, proceed. So, Gundam Wing, like many Gundam shows, is often a response to what came before. Uh, G Gundam in Japan received a mixed response, <laughs> probably due to its shonen influences and partly due to the, I'm sure, the purity test that the fan base gave to it. I. Yeah. I mean, take a look at, for example, like Dragon Quest, for example. Dragon Quest doesn't really have the luxury to deviate too far from its roots, or the fan base will push back from it. What a shame. <laughs> yeah, this is something I, I, I think that uh, uh, is, isn't shocking. I, I think that there's a lot stronger a reaction to that sort of change in, like, for a legacy thing like Gundam or Dragon Quest, when you have the name like that, if you, apparently... If you change it too, too much, like, people react very, very badly. Yeah, it's and, a real cultural institution there. And I, I can see, because, like, I can see just, regardless of the quality of Gundam, G Gundam, and another topic for another day, uh, we, you know, 
I, I could see people just say, thinking like, oh, this is, you got your peanut butter in my, in my Gundam chocolate and I don't want it. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's probably was enough. It could also be that interest in Gundam was cooling a bit after the 80s and even the 70s. Right. So keep that in mind as well. Gundam didn't do so great, period, in the 90s in Japan, like ratings-wise. Interesting. So, which we could talk about later, too. But Sunrise wanted their next show to be a bit more traditional, which is interesting because Gundam Wing certainly isn't that traditional. But they wanted to it to align more closer to, you know, Mobile Suit Gundam or Zeta Gundam, which do, do is not re- what Gundam Wing became. Yeah, I was going to say, do you recall off the top of your head, that I assume you just pulled this Mobile Suit Gundam and Zeta Gundam from an interview. Mm-hmm. The, so the person being interviewed did not say double Zeta. No. Well, some just of it was ch- assumptions, and but they did definitely mention the first Gundam series. Okay. Or okay. the most popular yeah, Gundam sure, series, I should sure, say. Sure, sure, sure. Well, and you know, and I'm not sure if that's something we're, we're going to get to here. But when I when I did my like scant research, I I, I found a a direct quote, which was someone saying like, "Oh, you you've arrived at the center between you know original Mobile Suit Gundam and Zeta Gundam with Gundam Wing." And I and I thought that quote was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that face. I thought that quote was interesting. It's interesting too because I thought this remembering Gundam Wing. If you take a look at all the Gundam series, we're about forty years into Gundam at this yeah. point. It seems that, and this is the creators actually said parallel things to what I thought. If you take a look, so you have uh, Mobile Suit Gundam in 1976. Uh-huh. You, you, 79. 70, 79, yeah, 79. 76. No. No, 79, that's right. 79. Post-Stars. Yeah, yeah. If you take a look every 10 years, roughly, there seems to, Sunrise seems to almost, they want a large tentpole Gundam series that takes the motifs and the thematic broad strokes and apply it to a new big show. Sure. So if you have Mobile Suit Gundam, Zeta Gundam, if you count Gundam Wing as that, and definitely Gundam Seed later, I, I would, I would. I don't know what you would say now. I'm not sure if it'd be was it Iron Blooded Orphans. I would or? think Iron Blooded Orphans is probably like yeah. the, like because Iron or Blood- Gundam Zero Zero. Without, I actually, yeah, I would give it to zero zero yeah. probably in that case. Without knowing too much about Iron Blooded Orphans, it seems like what they did was they took oh eight the mess team and they like shonenized it. it yeah, it seems without knowing anything, I have not seen Iron Blooded Orphans. So you could do, easily just do: Is there a character that has a mask on? All right, is there political strife between colonies and Earth forces? Well, Those are is, the, just the broad brushstrokes. Well, this is what I was going to say: was that uh, this is it seems to be just general philosophy for some long-running franchises in general. I mean, you could make an argument that, that this is the Final Fantasy approach. Yeah, You know, this is the Dragon Quest approach. This is the... This is... I mean, you know, this is Kojima's Metal Gear approach. All the Metal Gear Solids have all been basically re-releases of Metal Gear 2 in different forms. You know what I mean? Uh, so it, I wonder if this is just... As far as like a corporate sort of like not to get cynical, I don't mean this to be cynical. Yeah, but market forces, which we'll talk about, really do dictate a lot of Gundam period. That's what I'm saying. Is like I just wonder how much this is just like if you go to like the rule book of how to uh, how to keep a franchise alive. That it seems like one of the rules is like reappropriate core elements from its original sort of. And if you look at the Gundam series that didn't do that, not just G Gundam, but Turn a Gundam, for example, they're right. not held in as high regard as, you know, the classics. Right. I think it's interesting, though, and, and you'll... Anyway, I'll let you proceed. So let's spotlight uh, Hideyuki Tomioka for a bit. He's worked with Sunrise for most of his career. Uh, he's produced such notable titles as Inuyasha, Gundam X, and Turn a Gundam. He considers Gundam Wing his most enduring work, citing the show's overseas success. Now, he's the director of the show, right? No, producer. A oh, producer, okay. The money man. Money man. Uh, now he has ascended into executive heaven. Uh, he serves as a senior managing director at Sunrise, so a lot of number crunching. He has talked about maybe returning to Gundam Wing. I doubt it will happen. They've kind of returned to Gundam Wing, which we'll talk about probably 
episodes from now. Mm-hmm. But he he's quite you know he's in his sixties I believe so his creative prime arguably has passed though that's a generalization a bit. yeah but uh so Tomioka is in charge of the project uh, he enlisted the aid of his colleagues uh, Masashi Akita and Katsuyuki Sumisawa both of whom he worked with on Inuyasha. Akita directed the first 44 episodes of Inuyasha. Uh, Trilogy's a big fan. He's nodding his head vigorously. And uh, <laughs> Sumisawa oversaw a lot of the scripts of the show, including the movies. I can't speak accurately about Inuyasha Dude, at Inuyasha? All. I mean, yeah. the only comment I have about Inuyasha is that somehow, someway, I would like... It would be like a Saturday night. I was, you know, eighth grader or something. Or whenever the show was on my, my in my middle school, high school years. And I would turn on Adult Swim, wanting really badly... To see like some episode of Bebop or Gundam Wing or some other cool show, just ha- an episode I hadn't seen before, and inevitably it would always be the same episode of Inuyasha. Of Inuyasha that yeah. you've seen, and I would, I would just like I don't. That's the best I don't episode want Twilight Zone, it, right there. Yeah, I know it is. Please, I mean, so to before we move on, yeah. I just want to uh, Rumiko, uh, the, the author of uh, Inuyasha, yes. makes really good shit. And okay, Inuyasha itself is. I love Rama. Uh, Inuyasha itself is fine. And let, let us. It's probably I just, fine. I just yeah, wanna. I, I just. I just don't want to be. I don't want to start our first episode by right. by immediately just turning a, a huge audience against us. So like, I'm sure at one point I was in a room with a wall scroll and Inuyasha. Of wall Inuyasha. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's fine. It's 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 fine. Anyway. So uh, Sumisawa was tasked with scripting. He initially wasn't enthusiastic to be working on a Gundam show, noting just how tired and burnt out the G Gundam staff appeared in the offices. Oh, no. uh, he recalled. <laughs> This is hysterical. It's unfortunately hysterical. They were all kind of somber and tired all the time. I was like, Gundam series are not meant to be made by humans. But nevertheless, he shepherded the show to the end of its 49-episode run. That's, that's such a funny quote. If you, if, if you are familiar with G Gundam and the things that happen, I think in the table, I'm the only one who's really sat down and watched through G Gundam. I, I yeah, watched I most of it. To be honest, when it ran, I watched more G Gundam than Gundam Wing. We'll talk about that when we talk yeah. about Was G Gundam on television at one point? Cartoon Network. Oh, yeah. It, was it, on it ran on Toonami, yeah. It was between the, probably around 4.30. It was post, probably... I want to say 2002, like, 2003, because yeah, it was Gundam Wing right. in 2000, oh, Mobile man. Suit Gundam in 2001. I yeah, imagine I, I remember G-Gundam Mobile after. Suit Gundam. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, G Gundam definitely. Yeah, G- wow. I guess I must have just been too cool. Not only – you were probably too cool at the yeah, time, but not yeah. only did they run G Gundam, but they had in, – in a lot of the same way that, that – and we'll eventually talk about Gundam Wing having an interesting sort of marketing – push around it g gundam had a kind of a fun commercial where the the gundam fight uh, man would would come on and yell oh, at mustache you. guy yeah mustache guy would come to yell at you to watch g gundam <laughs> anyway, i forgot about him g, it's just like g gundam was not the show it was not like an evangelion it was not like this emotionally draining you know like it it is an energetic sort yeah. of fun mech show it's like mobile fighter g gundam don't think of demaya yeah it, a little bit it's yeah it's gundam tournament style but, yeah it, it's so to hear him talk about how the people who were making it were miserable is it's it reminds me a lot of the of another pro- media that i love even though it made people miserable the, the super mario brothers film uh, <laughs> yeah that's definitely one where we know for sure that the people who made that were all miserable yeah and it's 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 funny to watch with friends, but you also have to remember that people were very sad making this. Yeah, exactly. It's important to keep in mind. Anyway, we have more to discuss. All right, so Sumisawa was nervous and anxious about the project. Of course. Akita, however, and this is ironic in retrospect, appeared very enthusiastic, or so the interviews tell me. Even in the early planning stages, I remember ah. Akita's the director here, he dove right in and began furiously working through scripts. 
Pre-production moved at a rapid but efficient pace. The writer has ironed out the broad strokes of the cast, the suits, and the first 40 episodes in roughly a week. Akita recognized the project's ambition. It's like you're doing first, Zeta, and G all at once. It's, this was the quote I was thinking of, I think. Yeah. Which I think, in retrospect, is true. I mean, we have Mobile Suit Gundam. We have politics, naturally. Conflict between governments on Earth and space colonists. No surprises there. Zeta... Dark overtones, proximity to death. Sure. G Gundam, theatrical, over the top, stylized Gundams. I remember reading an interview where it compared the the fights in Gundam Wing to Dynasty Wars, basically. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's there is a Gundam Dynasty War. Yeah, there's right. There's a whole series, and I think there are specifically Gundam Wing mobile suits in those games. I've never played any of them. I, I I heard they're not. Good. I don't like Musou games. Period. So I mean, I I enjoy the like the regular series. I've never tried a Musou series besides the the vanilla Romance of the Three Kingdoms one. But I mean, I would say that I I've played uh, at least the first Gundam. Uh, what were they called? Battle, not Battle Assault. Those were the fighting games. Uh, Correct. I know those were the fighting. I games. I guess they were just called Dynasty Warriors Gundam. At least the one I'm thinking of was um on the 360 mm-hmm. it was yeah. all those muso games if you like whatever particular i can't speak to actually the mainline ones i know less about those mm-hmm. but if, if you like like hyrule warriors is great uh fire emblem warriors is great if, yeah. if you'd like whatever flavor of muso it yeah. is you'll enjoy it. i mean as long as you don't pursue lubu you'll be fine yeah don't do that <laughs> don't do that also with G Gundam as well, we have this quote-unquote national and geographic representation. If you take a look at the pilots, for example, they are, not to say that they aren't problematic, but, I mean, we have, you know, Sandrock. We have different characters representing different geographic locations, arguably. So we're going to, we'll maybe get into this a little bit more, but this is something I actually didn't know about mm. the Gundam Wing pilots, was that they were... So, so this is put straight up. This is text to G Gundam that that G Gundam is an international sort of show yeah. where we're going to be running into uh, representations of other cultures. Uh, y- uh, I mean, you played Street Fighter, it's or Punch Out. It's not all you know, roses and sunshine. Well, right. as so it, as it turns out, Brazilians are not large green men that shoot electricity. Shoot electricity, yeah. I mean, so. I mean, we, and then we'll, we'll, we'll just be butting heads against this constantly, yeah, probably. this will be did. something that comes up often. Um, but, you know, let me take out my bag of snakes. Um, <laughs> Why does he bring that all the time? I know. Uh, the, 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 I think, you know, with, and we'll discuss this every time. I don't know if, if these reductive sort of representations are, are intentionally reductive. I think there's a general sort of, like, attitude of, like, as long as we adopt these trappings then it's fine. As long as, you know, we're just adopting traffic. We're just doing a cartoon show. Who gives a, who gives a fuck? And, and you know, it's obviously more complicated than that. And we'll, yeah. we'll, yeah, we'll discuss yeah, it yeah, as yeah, we go. Yeah, but this yeah. was just something I didn't realize about Gundam Wing. I didn't realize our, our five main pilots were international, basically. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, thinking about it, Gundam Wing would do phenomenally well in 2019. I agreed. There's a, it reminds me a lot of, and I had this from the sidelines, so I wasn't watching episode, episode, but like, Code Geass, especially season two. Yes, correct. Kind of blew up on the internet. There's a real meme quality to the show that we should talk about for a moment. If Wing were airing today, it would do extremely well on Twitter. It's Uh almost tailor-made for it. The one-liners, the melodrama, the exuberance of it all. When Sumisawa was writing the series Bible, he mentioned that he differentiated the cast based on one-liners, which makes a whole lot of sense. In effect, he molded each character from a specific meme. And Tomioka acknowledged that Wing from the first episode is very fun. (laughs) <laughs> there's there's this almost but not quite meta quality to the show. I don't mean to suggest that Wing is meta, but it's almost as if the characters are winking at the audience, even though they're not. 
It definitely has a sort of like, uh, I, you know, this is giving it a tiny bit more credit than they're actually going for. But it definitely has a sort of end of Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. If these shadows have offended, sort of like like it, it's so. My memory of it is, is of it being so. Uh, what's the term like beyond reality? A sort of uh, uh, exaggeration of yeah. what it's intending to portray. That it's it rockets into it's definitely not a jorge luis borges aware of itself situation oh no it's certainly i wouldn't even consider necessarily like a quintessential postmodern text but it's almost as if gundam wing were a 10 year old boy jumping into a pool and waving at to get the mother's attention like hey look at me look what i can do well but but also not acknowledging that it is a text well so I, i it almost feels like there's there's things that you would do in a narrative to set up stakes you know terms themes like conflict yeah that that you that Gundam Wing doesn't feel the need to do because of I think this is something that happens uh, eventually when you get to long-running media of any kind is that you you reach a point where there are assumptions you can make for the audience Mm -hmm. right like um Spider-Man Homecoming is a good example of this Spider-Man Homecoming is a is the first Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man movie and at no point does it ever touch on origin story the question of how Peter Parker received his spoilers, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, Spider-Man powers. God um, damn it. I know. You see a door closed in the background. <laughs> yeah. He did it again. He's, he's done it again. Um, um, and, and I almost wonder if the elements you're talking about, because I, 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 I do think that is part of the show in a way, uh, come from th- that sort of thing where they've reached a point where they know the audience expects certain things and mm-hmm. they're just like, you know what, let's just... Let's, we can we'll just skip over it whatever we'll get there anyway uh also it's good to note that Gundam exists to sell toys period I really really want to talk about this point uh you know I, I think w- w- roll through the points here and then I want to bounce off that stuff immediately. all right so I mean this is Tomioka reflecting on Gundam wing over a decade later so but this is how he phrased it to the interviewee or interviewer excuse me so a sponsor requests that the show feature five Gundams one, and this was specifically requested, had to transform and fly. Cool. One have had to have an extending arm. Cool. One had to shoot things out of its chest. <laughs> the other two were left up to the staff to fabricate. And as a teenager watching anime late in, at night in my underpants, I never realized how determined these creative endeavors were by market forces, which, as all things, is a bummer. So one thing I want to talk about here, we, we have already established pretty well that this show was a, was a foundational text for us. Yeah. We have established that it came to us, you know, some, we talked a little bit about things that we had encountered before Front Mission 3, uh, shown in anime, uh, for, you know, for me, Armored Core. Uh, another text that was super foundational for me in terms of being primed for Gundam Wing was Transformers. And I think it's important to bring up Transformers oh, while certainly. we're talking about this history because Transformers is very much sort of the same way and uh you know i don't know what the history is as far as shows selling toys in japan but it's a pretty well documented thing at this point that the deregulation of children's media that occurred in the u.s in the early 80s paved the way for products like he-man transformers other things that would be you know essentially marketing for these toy lines Mm -hmm. and 
Uh, and we're, we've come around to that point. So everyone knows that at this point. And yeah. there was a uh, video essay that uh, Ignis had sent me a while back by, I think, Movie Bob. Oh, Movie Bob, sure. And it was about the sort of enduring uh, uh, legacy of why people still give a damn about the 86 Transformers movie. And kind of the Transformers show, uh, large, you know, a larger uh, extent. And I, I think what we're going to discover is that... Yeah, for all the things you just mentioned, not only was it made to sell toys, but it was shaped by that you know n- nature of being made to sell toys. Uh, but there's still you know art still goes on here, and as as sort of molding as those forces are, there's still characters, there's still you know things going on. Oh, of course. And so, yeah. So I just want you know I want to you know just put that point out there to say that you know at the same time we're pointing out that. The uh, you know the, the 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 weird market force capitalistic uh, soulless presence here is bad. Yeah, um, there are still animators and designers and script writers who are doing sort of the best they can to do art and pay the bills. Oh yeah, and it's it's cool and good and also shapes us. You know, we we ourselves are taking away meaning from these things even as they are being affected by the environment in which they're made. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll I'll piggyback. I I you know I'm I'm glad you made that point. That was something I was going to say. Um, before before I piggyback off that though, do we want to? Since this is our our first episode of Mechanations, do we want to real quick touch on the difference between something like a transformer and a mech, and what what exactly that would be? I would be curious to hear your definition of that. So here is my definition here, and what makes a transformer, which I would frame as a robot, different from a I a, would as well. A, 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 Proceed from. <laughs> Oh, uh, Steven Hero, nobody can see this, but Steven Hero just put his glasses up. He pushed his glasses up with his middle finger. And they're opaque now. It's very scary. Um, Endo style. uh, A a mech is piloted and a robot is not. Yep. Anytime you have a situation where... This is uh, a highly contested subject. Is it really? Sometimes. I I would say this is clear cut. I thought so as well, but people have opinions on the internet. Not all of them are good. I would say if you have, and and when I say pilot, I mean this specifically. I mean whoever is uh, is driving or piloting the robot is, or the, the, you know, automaton, we'll call it in this case, as a general term, um, is inside the robot. Yes. is, is, Is a part, more importantly, is a part of the robot in some case if you're on the ground and piloting the robot with a remote control still a robot not a mech um transformers are not piloted you can drive a transformer when it's transformed and i and i'm sure there are exceptions i'm transformers is a monolith like a massive like like franchise with lots of you know different yeah deeply bizarre offshoots iterations like there's an amazing and like gundam wing more popular in the west yeah and there's there was an amazing Tumblr post I, I'm impossible to find now about the uh, the fandom that could have the most combination of pairings and Transformers wins by a country mile by like even Homestuck the the next closest thing isn't even close to tra- anyway um, to roll off of that though um, I, one I I love the um, you can if you're familiar with each mech you can you can pick out which one was which from the the uh, requests oh, you yeah. know. 
Um, I feel bad that Sand Rock was left out there a little bit. <laughs> Sand Rock didn't get a... And then a desert one. Make one from the desert. <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting that the, the two of the five that are not defined by those market requests are very much defined by the weapons they carry. Yeah. The no. scythe and the curved blades of uh, Sand Rock. Of Sand Rock. Yeah. You know? I would agree with that. I think I just really like for um, Heavy Arms, it's like, it's got to shoot something from its chest. I don't care what. It's got to be something, though. I could just imagine, like, 50 aged Japanese executives smoking, talking about how many, like, what needs to be shot from its chest. Well, what I like about it, too, is that the thing that they came up with was just many guns. Yeah. yeah. Lots of guns. Lots of guns. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, I think, the just to piggyback, I think it's, in uh, you know... I think it's worth noting that all, all, almost all of these, and everything we're almost everything we're going to be talking about, with with a couple of very big notable exceptions, are are going to be like at least in some part uh, 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 influenced by or the you know move forward by the the intention of selling product of yeah. some kind. All, all everything we're talking Gunpla about is, is still be. a big business, both in well, especially in Japan, but in the U.S. too. I mean, we live. Close to a Gunpla store, believe it or not. Dude, where's my Gundam? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, if that's something that, that concerns you as a consumer, as someone who is, or not even as a consumer, as someone who is interested in art, uh, you know, just keep in mind, you know, this stuff has got to come from someplace, you know. If, if you find value in it, then that value is real. Well said. So... Despite early successes, production was punishing. At one point, Tomioka allegedly asked his boss to fire him, remarking much later that they thought the stress was going to kill him. The executive allegedly said, it's difficult to... If you were a director, I could fire you. But as a producer, it's a little more dicey, so no. Okay. I don't know. I mean, this is Tomioka's recollections. And sometimes, not the putting shame on Tomioka... It seems to be a badge of honor how much you worked, especially in the Japanese war culture as well. I'm sure, sure the hours were punishing as well. Sure. But I haven't been to a panel with a Japanese, not executive, but a Japanese creative who didn't basically all, like pseudo brag about how many, how much he's worked and how exhausted he was afterwards. Yeah, that makes yeah. Sense. I mean that's a big part of crunch culture. Uh, I was recently at Magfest where I went to a Game Workers Unite panel. I've already mentioned you know the relevance of labor issues to today. And that idea of crunch being a badge of honor. Yeah, like Hauser, for example. I'm sure if you go back in time, he would have taken, he would not have said the 100 hours a week comment. He wasn't saying that to be like, we are exploiting our workers so well. He was saying that to be like, we're dedicated and passionate, you know. And of course, he doesn't realize the costs of this for the people who work under him. You know, remember, remember when people report on those labor practices, it's, it's not necessarily assuming that the executives are are evil people. You know, it could be someone who was originally at a small developing company, part of this culture that later then turned around and was like, this is how we, how we do things, but hasn't really grasped. Who doesn't understand that you don't need these things to accomplish the great work that you accomplish. Right. So the writers finalized the scripts at an astronomical pace. Remember we're in 1994 here. Gundam Wing's going to be airing in less than a year. Uh, Usually production, just as this production in general, isn't happy with the script until it undergoes several drafts which allegedly takes roughly four to five weeks. On Wing, however, Sumisawa was churning out scripts in days. Would, would you say that he was really winging was, it? Ooh. Oh, boy, yeah. Get that Antonio Banderas gif out. I know, right? And to compound his anxiety, he was working on Inuyasha and Naruto at the same time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not, how, wait a minute. I thought that too. This is from the interview, but are you talking about like Naruto? Yeah, timing-wise, I don't know if that, that I don't know if that tracks, because... Naruto, the animation, 
I mean, the manga... Maybe I'm wrong. See, here. I feel like that would be really hard because how could you get a a meme image where the scriptwriter is holding up? Was it Sasuke and other people up against? You would need you would need three arms, the and you, you, just, you just meme. can't do that with the choking Sasuke <laughs> meme. It's very difficult. I mean, I could be. I mean, like I I, I know you're just quoting the interview here because Inuyasha that tracks uh, yeah. that 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 must have been coming out at around the same time. Uh, but Naruto, I, I don't believe... Maybe that just goes to show how long these things are in the work stuff. Who, who knows no, how yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For mm-hmm. sure, for sure. So Tomioka went with... I might be pronouncing this wrong, so I apologize. Shuko Murase for the character designs. Uh, he's worked both on Gundam and with Sunrise before, but he has a di- very diverse and very cool resume. So I picked out the ones that apply to me, and most of us. So, of course, he worked on Ronin Warriors. Awesome. Uh, Witch Hunter Robin, which I uh, watched as a kid. It's, awesome. it's dope. It's really cool. I never heard of that before. Mm. Good job. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Samurai Champloo, super dope. And, drumroll please, <laughs> Final Fantasy IX. He was responsible for the character designs. I imagine he was, uh, Sakaguchi was in Hawaii at the time, so I imagine that's where he was as well. So, wow. So, Final Fantasy IX, see, that's really interesting, because that really d- goes to show, like, the, the sort of, like, because the ones that you named, like, Ch- Ronin Warriors and Final Fantasy IX both feature, like, specifically, like, a f- five-flavored people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Shonen, Ronin Warriors is a, as you know, a, almost a Sentai, like an animated Sentai mm-hmm. show where you have, you know, five multicolored you know armored yeah you know i think you know obviously i was kind of waiting for you to bring up sentai at some point but that's certainly another text that now i know you're much more into sentai right. than i am but of course as a smaller child i was very much in on the first two go bouts of power rangers power rangers that's right and so the idea of a main cast with five different warriors and different colors and different looks again with that like mix power rangers and transformers together yeah I am here for Gundam Wing. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and you know, you'll note, you know, Power Rangers, the 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 Megazord, which is what we're and through you know the other Zords uh, are all Mecha. I would refer to those as Mecha. They are they are piloted mm-hmm. giant robots. Those are Mecha. It tracks. Um. Uh. But yeah, no, it's it's interesting because Final Fantasy Nine also, uh, you know, full disclosure, doing a replay of Final Fantasy Nine with my partner recently. Uh, Final Fantasy Nine has. More than five, but very distinctive, easily discernible character designs. Like it's it's that thing where if you saw a silhouette, you'd be able to pick them out. Uh, I could see where this guy they they why they would pick this guy. I think they, he is able to do what they were looking for, which is to create different flavors of yeah. character and did they also do the mech design or just the character no mech design was done in-house by a variety of people not to diminish the work that the general who worked on the mech designs did but it's not associated usually when you're researching for a mech show they'll bring in like one ace designer and they'll usually be they'll highlight that in the advertisements and the marketing but not so for Gundam Wing not that it's a slight but a variety of people had their hands on the, the uh, mech designs uh, but Morassi's designs flamboyant colorful stylized which definitely define Wing's unique aesthetic uh, Tomi Oka notes then Japan fans don't consider Gundam Wing orthodox, which is not necessarily a slight, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the show is very theatrical. Uh, Ko Utani composed the music for the show. Uh, notably, he's worked on a bunch of Godzilla films and Shadow of the Colossus. Interesting. Making him my new best friend. So, interesting thing I want to note about the music is that... It's awesome. I think it's awesome. Yeah, so before before we did this this history a history podcast, I the only thing I think that me and Steven Hero rewatched was we just kind of dipped our toe in with the first episode. So, he, he and I really are mostly working on our memories at this point. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the things that's really interesting about memories is that, and we might retouch this uh, when we get to sort of the end of our history section, but my perception of the music of Gundam Wing is very colored by the work that the uh, the drum and bass artist did for the promotional material in Toonami, because he actually would remix in some of the orchestral flourishes mm-hmm. from Wing into the the uh, promotion tracks. There's actually a really good, um, a particular track called uh, uh, the Gundams on Earth or something. I think mm-hmm. that's from his drum and bass album. That I'm going to give it to you guys later. Uh, and that is very, very neat. Having dipped my toe in with that first episode, it's really interesting to me the way the show kind of constantly goes back and forth between uh, these uh, larger, the larger scale of the show is very much defined by these orchestral notes, these da 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 da, you mm-hmm. know, these very. Whereas the uh, the personal moments of melodrama and battle tend to be much more defined by uh, rock, by, yes. by by a much yeah. more pop <laughs> soundtrack. <laughs> I, love, I was actually going to come here and say, Gundam Wing for me, no, Gundam music for me in general is forgettable for the mm-hmm. most part. Yeah. I was going to come in here definitively say, Gundam Wing has the best music in Gundam, period. But then I forgot Yoko Kano did the music for Turn of Gundam. I was going to say. He, but number two is not bad. That, I'm playing from memory, of course, I, and I haven't seen every Gundam show. I think I think you're going to, I think your memory is going to be correct in, for the most part. I think that I, we're going to. It's hard to trump the queen. We're going to hear a bunch of stingers that are going to, they're going to play a lot and we're going to be like, oh yeah, that noise is in my brain. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think as being someone who's been, recently rewatched Mobile Suit Gundam, Zeta Gundam, working on my very first watch of Double Zeta, uh, the, the music in Mobile Suit and, you know, First Gundam and Zeta Gundam really focuses more, at least in the international releases, which are the releases that I watched, more orchestral. Certainly the international release of Zeta Gundam has this practically um, the the you know the famous um, piece in Space Odyssey. Uh, yeah. Thus spoke Zarathustra. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, has like that kind of like flavor of epicness to it. Uh, you know, and that, that tails off. And so I, I I really like the way that at least from the first episode that they use it to to color the scenes. I think yeah. it's, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and it, it makes the show it, it it gives some great like dramatic punches to the show it just makes it pop at times i think this next part that you're about to discuss is something i, I was interested in talking about so why don't you why don't right. we uh so in retrospect especially when we think about gundam wing and the, the gundam wing creators tend to agree that they played up the dramatic beats between the characters much more so than had been done in past series and really since it's a bit of a generalization but it's typically gundam shows revel in the small mechanical details that make these suits tick they really like very nerdy, very into the tech. Uh, Gundam Wing eschews this in favor of melodrama, which perhaps contributed the show's overwhelming popularity in Japan with women. And this this is a claim this producers made and have repeated many times before. So I, I'm sure I we're going to get to it. We're going to talk about th- that particular aspect of it. But I think it's notable that Gundam Wing in particular... Is is has a popular has popularity with the female audience. I can speak to even in in the the West, America, and, you know, Europe, and the other places where Toonami might have aired, you know, there is a other, more so than other mech shows, a, until the the show we mentioned previously, Code Geass, uh, had I seen really, like, a a strong, definite female... Like, that was a Clamp show, right? Yeah. Well, no, so... Does Clamp exist anymore? So Clamp does still exist. Clamp did the designs for Code Geass, oh, which right. is why it looks like a Clamp show, mm-hmm. but it's not, it wasn't run by Clamp. Um, 
Uh, Clamp, for for those who are unfamiliar, are a, a group of yeah, creators. A collective of uh, female manga artists. Yes. Uh, you know, things like um, uh, Cardcaptor Sakura. Magic Chobits, Knight Ray Earth. Magic Knight's Ray Earth. X, um, right? Is it X? Yes, X1999. Triple Xaholic. Uh, you know, they've made a lot of stuff. Um, but Gundam Wing is five, you know, five boy main characters with highly stylized Gundams. Lots of, we'll get there. Lots of lady characters, like yes. lots of notable lady characters. Even, I mean, unfortunately, they're mostly side characters. But mm-hmm. one in particular is, I would say, our protagonist. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things I'm very much looking forward to doing this rewatch is, uh, you know, we'll get to it when we discuss the character. But I have memories of of really being annoyed by this character, and yeah. and I think 2019 Ignis is going to find that this is the main character yeah. of the show. One mm-hmm. thing I would say, I think this this show is in a way also suited to our strengths and our intro, as we all mentioned, our interest in characters and themes. And I think because this show uh, relies more on visual flourish and spectacle and melodrama, I think that is well suited for what we do. I'm, I'm going to be very upfront. You you could not ask me to name the model number of a Gundam to save my life. Yeah, it is no, just totally. not the something I could do. No, yeah. yeah, actually, maybe. Nor can I. It is worth worth putting up front in 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 the podcast. Uh, none of us. I I did write some down just because I was I did some light research in order to prepare for this episode. But like not off the other than the original. I have I, at this point I could give you the RX seven nine G. I could give you that. But the like none of us are really the type to memorize model numbers or. Uh, tech info. I couldn't tell you how many shots are in a beam rifle. Uh, that's which is a big deal in the original Gundam, right? You know, no, like, yeah. I, I think one of the things that sh- oftentimes when I finish watching a show, I'll go look at the Wikipedia article for the show just to sort of like see what the popular memory of it is, right? And after doing Mobile Suit Gundam and Zeta Gundam, I was I would go to and pretty there are some common entries in Wikipedia articles: list of characters, list of episodes. Those are kind of common things you often see in TV show Wikipedia articles. The Gundam series have list of mechs, uh, and I was just kind of like, "Huh? <laughs> like, really? Is this a thing?" Yeah, and, and yeah. it's a thing. It's a real thing. Even the, and they they document them all. Even the weird ones that show up at the end of Zeta with like completely baloney names. <laughs> oh yeah, those names are great. Yeah. Um, before we move on from this point, one thing I will want to touch on, I do want to touch on, is the idea that the fact that that Gundam Wing does have a predominant female audience, I do think adds to its perception as of lesser art i think this is something that happens when you talk about a a a piece that becomes popular with uh uh a a lady or queer audience is that Mm. it it gets like for a certain sort of person tarnished or lesser oh yeah especially in 2019 we see that like you know um uh uh there is an excellent youtube creator named uh 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 folding ideas uh foldable human dan olson on youtube has a three-part video series on uh uh uh, 50 shades of gray um and the 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 premise of it is largely to explore that the interesting ways that that fan fiction and uh uh female or not female uh uh Books aimed at women and film sort of like combined into this sort of weird conflux of things, which is Fifty Shades. And one of the things that he discusses in that is this sort of part of what ended up happening with Fifty Shades was a sort of reverse um, pushback. Like people, I mean, this happens with Twilight. This happens with, you know, uh, uh, a lot of stuff where if it has a perception of being 
aimed at women or feminine, that it's just lesser than a similar work, mm-hmm. you know? Um, uh, uh, I feel like this happened a little bit with Hunger Games in, in relation to, like, people would dismiss it as just being, like, a, a softer version of Battle Royale um, or, uh, you know, um, Twilight, you know... Uh, what what makes it sticky with Twilight and Fifty Shades is that both of those aren't great, like in right. in a way that is true. But there is there is an overwhelming amount of pushback to those two things, right? Based on the fact that they are, and I think Gundam Wing has a little bit of that, yeah. Which will you know I'll get to a little bit when we discuss some of the characters. Yeah, but... I mean, see Last Jedi. We don't need to get don't go down that rabbit hole, but yeah. <sighs> Well, I was trying to find something that was good. No, you're then, right. No, no, I know. Yeah. I just, I just, I just wish we were talk. Like, I can't believe that that movie has been out for like what it is feels it, like, like a year and a half. It feels out. like it's been like 200 years since that movie came out, and people are still talking about the it. Last Jedi is the best Star Wars movie since Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I agree. Let's, let's continue. Let's get this out of the way. Last yeah. Jedi was good. In fact, it was the best. It let's was keep great. going. Let's keep going. So production was tumultuous throughout. Uh, this. This is interesting. So Akita left midway through the series, replaced by Shinji Takamatsu. I couldn't find concrete information regarding his departure. I looked. Um, some theorize that he burned out from overwork. I don't really buy that as much. There's also rumors that he was forced out by Sunrise, who didn't like the direction he was taking the show. If you, and when we are doing the podcast, we're going to split the episodes to begin with. We're going to take a break after, I believe, the first 26 episodes, that, right? That is our, our plan as of right now. Mm-hmm. I think we should... I, we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to our yeah. format at the end of the show, but I, I, that is our plan currently. Right. Yeah. We're, don't worry, folks. We're just we're still we're still just Gundam winging it. There That's is right. a, <laughs> there's a tonal shift between the first 26 episodes and the back half. So if I'm going to put on my so if I'm theorizing as to why Sunrise oh, might have fired Akita, it's because that if you take a look at the last half, it's more Gundam. Yeah, it's like traditional Gundam, more philosophizing, my memory. more war is bad. It's less theatrical than the opening beats. Also. Akita is notoriously difficult to work with. He's stubborn. He was kicked off projects before. But I don't know how acrimonious the fallout was. Uh, Akita's, even though I can't find many interviews, he still does interviews about Gundam Wing. And he remained credited. This is unfortunate for Takamatsu, but he remained credited until the end while he was not. But uh, even with these production woes, Gundam Wing was a success. Albeit, and this is important to note, a modest one in Japan. It didn't set the charts on fire, but there was enough interest for a sequel, which took the form of a three-episode OVA title, Endless Waltz which we'll talk about later, mm. but it received... Endless Waltz was originally released three-episode OVA, three separate VHS tapes, and then later received a theatrical release with some new scenes added. We got the theatrical release. That's right. how it was aired. Actually, the OVAs have never been officially d- or dubbed at all in English. It's very close to the theatrical release. But talking about how it came to the U.S., it wasn't easy bringing Gundam overseas. Sunrise and Bandai didn't think there was the market for it. In 1997, Cartoon Network launched Toonami along with DBZ and Sailor Moon. Recognizing the success of those two programs, Bandai America, a company that doesn't exist anymore, mm-hmm. began working to get Gundam on Cartoon Network. The U.S. division argued that Wing would be the best fit, and naturally Sunrise wanted the original series. Wing won out in the end, no doubt due to the perceived marketability of the five main pilots. Right. A smart choice on Bandai America's part. Uh, Bandai's relationship with Toonami was amicable, even fruitful. Bandai liked the fact that even though Gundam Wing necessitated censorship to air during its late afternoon slot, Cartoon Network would run unedited episodes at midnight. So I think it was at 5.30 and midnight. So it began airing twice a day in 2000. Mm. One thing I just want to remark upon that I think is really interesting here showing up in the uh, the anime area, I think 
we're often used to reading stories about these American subsidiaries of Japanese companies, your mm-hmm. Nintendo of America, Sega of America. And lots of times, like, those people are making the right decisions. And yeah. whether or not they're listened to is another story. Right. But for sure, those folks made some good decisions. So, like, shout out to people doing the work. Well, I, I think it's, it's worth noting, like, I, I don't think... I think people would have liked Mobile Suit Gundam in the sort of way that, like, the thing that I'm comparing it to in my head as far as, like, uh, comparable releases on Toonami, like, they aired Cyborg 009 on Toonami, right? Mm-hmm. And I liked Cyborg 009 because I'm an anime nerdo, but I don't know if Cyborg 009, which is, like, a, a franchise, like, a, a popular, long-running, like, a, you know, this is an Osama Tezuka joint, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, it didn't catch fire though and and it's probably because the aesthetic is one that didn't doesn't latch on in the same way that 90s crisp 90s anime yeah just is is so aesthetically pleasing we wouldn't be having a podcast right now about gundam wing if it did not air on toonami in 2000 no, i don't know if i'd be correct. you know playing resident evil 2 on a cold january night in 2019 if it wasn't for gundam wing or things like gundam wing at right, that time right 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 uh I'd probably still be recording a mecha podcast. But, I'd like to think I would, be. but but only because, like as we previously discussed, like the the seeds were in there. That, right, that the Power Rangers were, were like, yeah. Mm, yeah. Like anyway, um, the only other thing I do want to touch on real real quick is that. Uh, oh no, I already made that point. Go ahead. So wrapping up here, Gundam Wing was a massive success in America. All right, it was not as much in Japan, which may explain the dearth of interviews. I was I found while I was researching for it. But Gundam Wing is insanely popular. Even still, it's remembered. I shouldn't say it's insanely popular in the US. It's been quite some time, but it's very remembered very fondly. There yeah. are many there are several Gundam Wing podcasts out there, rewatch podcasts whereas you won't find a for the most part any other Gundam series highlighted for the most part. There are a few general podcasts. Um, and you see a lot of you know think pieces about Gundam Wing appearing sporadically whereas you won't for other series. Uh, remember, Toonami was then operating on a meager budget, and like we talked about before, viewed more as an experiment, and Gundam really helped solidify it as a staying force. Yeah, I would agree that that was one of the... I mean, Dragon Ball Z is the like the yeah. secret weapon mm-hmm. that, that created like Toonami as like a, a thing. Yeah. Um, but Gundam Wing was, I would say, Gundam Wing, Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, arguably Tenchi. Tenchi would be would be a footnote there, yeah. like Tenchi, especially now, but back then, right. had a lot more cultural force, right? Um, I wouldn't say Tenchi as now. No, 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 no. I mean, I I will still. I mean, we in this household we stand for Ryoko, but I was just about to say, yeah. yeah but in either case, um, that I think concludes the the history behind the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's safe to say it was influenced largely by G Gundam and the sort of tepid response that 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 had. Certainly. Um, it's interesting how much it coming here mattered to it. You know, that that's something that that is isn't really touched upon when you talk about certain types of shows, but like, you know, Sailor Moon did not need us, you know, in in any regard. Dragon Ball it is a little bit more complicated because its international success is is a, a separate sort of thing. Yeah, if you talk about it's very gun, uh, Dragon Ball is very popular in the U.S., but particularly internationally, it has blown up. Right, like in South America, for example, Brazil in particular. That's what I was going to say. Was that there are, especially in uh, uh, Latinx South America, Brazil, uh, you know, Mexico, not Latinx, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, it's huge in in a way that like 
Only I, I would uh, One Piece poss- is like the other comparable. Mm-hmm. I know Attack on Titan blew up for a while, but that show sucks. Uh, uh, I think uh, we're looking at specifically uh, anime where American success mattered a lot. Uh, another one from that era, and one that we might also revisit at some point here, is Big O. Right. Yes. An excellent point. Like it's interesting how the the one of the things that that we discuss that is going to come up when we discuss our other shows is is the sort of uh, confluence between technology and storytelling, right? Um, and it, one of the things that seems to overlap when it comes to Japanese storytelling, pop storytelling, and American Western pop storytelling is giant robots, war giant robots, wow, cool robot. Um, so having introduced the the sort of background of the show, why don't we get to the meat a little bit? Why don't we discuss some of our pilots, some sure. of our characters? Uh, let's begin with uh, I, I suppose our main character. Wait, is this now our pilot episode? Yeah, hey. uh, is this? <laughs> oh no! Oh no! We <laughs> reached the pilot portion of the pilot episode. Uh, so beginning with our, I would, I mean, so. Full disclosure, I put together some of these character bios, and it was a little bit difficult. I put them together with the idea that we would not be going into the in-depth backstory behind each character. We're going to approach this story as the story deems us to approach it. We're going to work with what it gives us. Uh, And, you know, I have, full disclosure, seen the first episode. I believe my other hosts as well. Um so there are certain things that we remember. We're going to be mostly working through memory here. Right. Hero right. Yui is our main character. Uh, he pilots the titular Gundam, the Gundam Wing. Uh, typically, we see him in a green tank top. And I I referred to them as biker shorts. But they seemed to me to be non, nondescript anime uh like like shame covers basically <laughs> like i wouldn't know what else to describe them they're as. very iconic in retrospect well i was going to say he's the figure who we see is hiding his face that is sort of like his i would call that stance of his iconic so this is not something that i would have recognized watching the show in the year 2000 but now as an adult having watched a bit more anime is he just doing a jojo's there Oh well, yes. Yeah, now we can say right. definitively that that it, he's JoJo posing. Yeah, there. he's JoJo. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to. We don't want to get down the rabbit hole because all the mechs are stands. Like that's like, yes, right. Agreed. Yeah, sure. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is an influential work. Yes. This, yeah. News at eleven. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, exactly. What would it, what do you guys do? You guys have any standout memories of Hero Yui, our, our protagonist? I mean, I think I think he's gonna be entitled in the year two thousand nineteen. <laughs> yeah. As a so, I really associate Gundam Wing. It the perfect time, middle school, late at night, wearing my angst on my sleeves. Sure. It's a bit of an edge lord. Mm-hmm. You know. On AIM, texting people at 1 a.m. Sure. Gun and Wing pops on. Flicking your beautiful, beautiful hair. Yeah, my hero Yui hair, unfortunately. R.I.P. Who do I what, what bald Gundam characters are worth noting? What Stanley Tucci's are there on the Gundam world? And, uh, off that top aren't, my, like, evil. Off the top of my head, as far as not evil, not I'm not sure. <sighs> uh, I, I mean, like, uh, uh, immediately the, the Russian pilot from G Gundam comes to mind. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's bald as much as he's shaped. I'm thinking about, like, Z Gundam, uh, Zeta Gundam, like the Titan... The, oh, is the, there a bald Zeta this some, Titans pilot? Uh, or like a general, I remember being bald. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, there's um, Bascom. Yeah. The one with the goggles. Yeah, no yeah. one I want to Yeah, know, no one you want to be. No, absolutely not. All right. No, lack of hair seems to be a signifier of evil. Of evil. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, buddy. That's wow. all right. 
And, but now that I think about it, that's not really like anyway. Let's 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 continue down our our character introduction. My my history or my memory of heroes is, is I think much the same. I I, I think um, if other people are familiar with another show we may talk about in the future, uh, Full Metal Panic. I believe its main character was is influenced by Hiro Yui. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, interesting. Uh, Sonosuke Sagara was is is kind of a comedy take on mm-hmm. Hiro. I remember him being a, a an efficient military figure and having zero other skills. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of what I remember, I think, is uh, whispers of some of the later plot lines involving the the zero system. Yes. And it mostly seems to be you know a lot of that the trope of. Uh, the the military man being pulled between whatever his deal is, Relina, and his his mission, and being the efficient military weapon. Yeah, there's we're gonna well, we, you know, one of the things we'll really be discussing is the friction between Relina and and uh, uh, Hero, and what the nature of that friction is. Uh, but next up, we have um, probably the most memorable character of Gundam Wing. I would say, I, I would say, most people know this guy. Uh, Duo Maxwell is a positive, energetic, theatrical boy. Theatrical, I didn't mean to have any connotation, but now I'm reading it out loud, maybe does a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the world's a stage. Uh, I'm sure his backstory isn't very tragic at all. And, and you know what? You could kind of just add that line into all the main pilots. I'm sure their backstories are fine. Just fine. Um <clears throat> Uh, typically seen dressed in all black with his brown hair and a very long braid. He pilots the Death Scythe, uh, the <laughs> the most 90s, I think, name for oh, a Gundam yeah, possible. Yeah. I mean, I'll, uh, I'll tell you, he was definitely the one I remembered identifying and relating to with the most. Sure. Uh, you know, he was the very much comic relief. I remember going out of my way, very specific memory here, going on Kazaa. To, oh boy! To download my heart just skipped a beat. specific sound clips of like goofs of duo. Like I think I would pa- do that for Simpsons. Episodes. Particularly, I think there's one, and, and don't tell me what episode it is. We might get to it next pod <laughs> or whatever. But I think there's one where where Hero resets his own broken arm, and Duo is like, "You you can't do that. Like you can't just reset your own arm." And oh, I thought yes. this was hysterical. Yes. And so I went on Kazaa. Found someone who had uploaded the sound clip of the someone dialogue. else thought it was hysterical. Also too. hysterical, very you know, <laughs> ships passing in the night. Yeah, and uh, anyway, and then I downloaded. Turns that sound out clip it was on, me on Kazaa. Yeah, it was actually me from the future. You know, <laughs> um, but using Kazaa. As speaking a time of Kingdom device. Hearts, yeah, yeah. The creators uh, note, interestingly enough, that Duo more closely matches the traditional Gundam hero mode, the optimistic immature type who grew over time that's their words not yeah mine. no no well okay okay uh, okay uh, so i would agree with that but remember i am on my first watch of double zeta and i think duo does fit with judo oh well okay I, I should note that the interviewer not the interviewees mentioned that hero was quite unique as a cool genius protagonist which is bullshit None of those things are correct. Genius, I would put in in quotes because he is very competent. Yeah, he is. He is. He is hyper competent at like military uh, assassination. <laughs> like he is so good at that and nothing else. He is the equivalent of a D and D character who has put all of his stats into combat stuff and nothing else. Yeah. Um. Duo. My memory of Duo is largely his voice. Uh, the voice actor whose name I can't, I wasn't able to pull up. Some I was able to, um, but uh, he voices Rat Trap on talking about Transformers again on Beast Wars. 
Uh, he did a lot of stuff for Ocean Company. I, 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 I don't remember who he was in the Deke dub of Dragon Ball, but he was definitely... Almost everyone that we're talking about in Gundam Wing will have uh, appeared on a Deke or an Ocean dub. And that's the main thing I remember about... Oh, actually, I have an excellent anecdote about Duo. Um, so, when Gundam Wing was airing, uh, at this point, we had not reached the, the time in anime and manga culture where we were getting manga. In, in the structure that manga is typically sold in. Uh, so we didn't really receive... Like, if you go to a Borders bookstore today and you go over to the, the comics or, you know, uh, graphic novel section, you'll see manga as it's typically sold. Uh, back when uh, it was airing, they would sell individual issues. Like, you know, in, you would what you get in, in Japan when you buy an issue of Shonen Jump or whatever is a collection of individual issues of each release right so you'll get a little bit of one piece a little bit of naruto a little bit of bleach a little bit of shonen king or shaman king this by the way is a shonen jump from like 2002 i'm describing right now um uh but um so what we what you were able to get was an individual issue uh and uh i was at a the mall uh the actually the cherry hill mall with uh, my parents and they were going to some other place and I decided to go check out the, our, the comic book store there, which was the Hall of Heroes. Uh, Hall of Heroes there had some some Gundam comics, uh, you know, and they and I was like, oh, cool. I didn't know there were comics of Gundam Wing. I did not know this was a thing yet. Um, and I encourage people to look this up. So one of the, the covers was Duo Maxwell uh, and he was... Okay, I, I feel like both of you know which one I'm talking about. Well, now. I remember the covers in general, the one with didn't click Quattro have a violin in his hand. Well, something. so um Duo is is on the cover and he's he's looking at he's looking at the reader, the perspective reader, and he's like, Hey, how's it going? And he he's uh he's kind of uh lifting up his shirt suggestively, <laughs> so you get a good nice uh nice check of his uh his abs there. And I was like, Oh, was he shredded? He was real shredded. Okay. He looked good. Right. Like he, you know, duo. So the, and I went to, you know, my parents and I was like, I, I would like to get some <laughs> of these. And, uh, my mom, <laughs> you know, she was like giant robot thing, giant robot thing. Huh? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and if we, hopefully we'll be able to just find it to just, I think we will. Yeah, this is official uh, art. I don't yeah, think this yeah, will yeah. be hard to find and we'll put this up, but like, it, it's important to note, like, these boys are presented as sexual and yeah. and and particularly duo is pretty queer. Duo is is pretty flirty, pretty, you know, with uh, regardless of your gender identification, he's pretty down to clown. I would describe if not for a character we're going to discuss later, I would describe Duo as the gayest of our main cast. Um but uh, he is the one I would describe him or anyone who's familiar with Doctor Who. Um, let's see. God, now I can't remember the character's name. Uh, uh, there is a character in the ninth Doctor era, uh, Captain. He was he was in the spinoff. Anyway, he was an omnisexual character. Duo is very much in that same mm-hmm. vein. Okay. Yeah. I don't know Doctor Who too well or yeah, at all. Me, no, me neither. I, I can't. I shouldn't have brought it up because I didn't remember the character's name, but that's fine. Sorry. Right. Uh, next, we're going to talk about Catra. Uh, Catra has a full name that I'm not going to go into now because it would, goes into a little bit more of his backstory of who he is. Uh, Catra uh, prefers not to fight. The closest we will get to a pacifist among the boys, though by definition, he really is is not one. He is not that thing. Um, 
Uh, without getting too deep into it now, because we're going to talk about it, uh, my feelings about Catcher are complicated. So were the Japanese audience. Uh, Catcher wasn't that popular, especially with uh, female viewers. They called him, quote, and I quote, space heart jerk. <laughs> what? what? Wow. What does that mean? I don't know. Spa- so, okay, is it because... I don't I don't know if this is spoilers. So and I think, Santa Rock models sold the worst as well. So I mean that surprises me a little bit less because of of the main five, it's the least stylized until we get to Endless Waltz. Like there really isn't a lot to talk about its style other than its weapon, like you said. Like right, the thing that's right. notable about Sand Rock is its weapon. Um but uh, until you get to custom, because custom is is I, I I dare say Sand Rock Custom is the best looking of the custom models i would say but right, let's not right yeah so the only thing i'll say you know i think I've, I've alluded to before that the other works that primed me for my interest in gundam wing uh i wouldn't and i i'm still in this way but when i was watching consuming media as a kid i was always looking for sort of parallel structures as like an indication of something being a real show or a real anything it was a real RPG if you had characters with diverse weapons, if you got a boat partway through the game and then an airship later in the game. Sure. And so watching something, uh, and, I, and, and another formative work for me, for some reason my, my mother let me watch James Bond movies all the time. Sure. Mm. And so watching Gundam Wing, uh, sixth grade PMC trilogy, uh, took note that, and, and this is a memory, so I am going to be reevaluating this, I distinctly remember four of the pilots having love interest characters and Catra not having love interest characters. Disagree. Uh, see, there you go. So again, but this is just a memory, right? Well, you know, so that's, that's one of the things I'm looking to, because also, you know, as you've just mentioned with duo, obviously I was not looking for LGBT, you know, reads on characters in sixth grade in 2000. And that's something I'm going to be looking at now in 2019. Well, okay. Cause I, I shouldn't have, I should have let you finish because yes. really the, you're correct. He does not have a female counterpart in the way that the other boys do, do but his, his relationship is the most textual, textually romantic. I would argue with Troa Barton, who I would say is his, we'll, we'll get to him. Right. Next, exactly. Yeah. Um, is our, you know, uh, uh, it is, I would say, his love interest. There's a scene in an upcoming episode that he shares with Troa, and we'll discuss what I, I think the, oh, yeah. the yeah, imagery absolutely. of that scene means. Um, so I lied. We're not talking about Troa yet. We're actually going to talk about Chang Wufei. Uh, Chang Wufei uh, is a styled as a sort of martial artist or monk. Uh, it, here's, <laughs> there's very, I'll be honest, straight up, <laughs> this sucks. There's very little I remember about Zhang Wufei. Uh, Both me and Steven Hero, uh, when trying to... There's a little game we're going to play a bit later. And when we were preparing for that game, we both tried to search up images of the main Gundams from Gundam Wing. And uh, and we both searched uh, Wufei's Gundam as Shenron. Oh yes, that's okay. Not the not name its of, name. No, no, no not that's its the name. dragon from Dragon. <laughs> that's Z. correct. I mean, yeah. So Shenron though is is like at this point the name we've decided on for for the Dragon Ball Z dragon, but that is an anglicized version of Shenlong, uh, which is w- what you're what you guys were. Oh, you so were, we're good. You weren't incorrect yeah. necessarily. You were t- you were looking up the same word, but it wasn't. 
Yeah. All right. So this might be a way, way long uh, tangent, but maybe just as for the audience and also for me, if we can just get a quick ruling on this, because uh, it comes up in Gun and Wing, and we're going to revisit this when we watch and discuss the first episode. What is is there a deal with L's and R's in anglicizing names in from from JP to English in general? Yeah, because yeah, it's just something I noticed, and I and I know there's like a caricature of an accent out there, which I feel like you could basically could be interchange them. And so, you know, for me, I just want to know, like, you know, if I'm bringing this up, like, because I, I don't want to be like, oh man, this person has an accent; they're so, funny. Let me make fun of them because that's a garbage take, right? Yeah. You know? So in general, if you see. Uh, so if you see a phrase that that has an R that you know in English would be spelled with an L, like just because it's the same character in in when you're talking about, mm. uh, I don't know I'm I don't know Japanese speaking or or reading, but as my understanding is that the L and the R the the character that makes that sound is identical. Okay. It's the same character. Okay. So for our, all intents and purposes, anytime you run into that sort of situation, it's just because the character that represents that noise is the same. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, like, I believe in uh, uh, the first episode, we see a breakdown of the Wing Gundam. This is exactly it, what I was alluding and, to. And it has, I, I, what is it, Razor Cannons? Or, no, no, or, it's, it's Randing Gear. Yeah, Randing Gear. That's right. It has, <laughs> right. It's, it's a new generation fighter with brand new Randing Gear. Right. Um, and it's clearly, and, it's on the bottom of the craft. Right. clearly Landing it's Gear. It's clearly ra- Landing Gear. Landing <laughs> 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 Gear. It's clearly ra- <laughs> Fucking A. Um, it's clearly Landing Gear. I would say in general, like, whenever you come across something like that, unless it's like, unless it's its proper name. Like in in which case that's where it gets tricky, right? Like where um, like Shenron was one I think that at this point we've we've just stuck to like that one I think just stuck around. Right, so that's, exactly. Like and and I think that's uh, the, a similar situation with anytime you come across a word that's shared between languages, but the, the pronunciation is just different. Like uh, English is full of words that are just like the like for us correct, but are just the badly pronounced words of other languages. Sure, you know, yeah. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, Wufei was originally going to be African, which is cool for representation's sake, but, ooh, I mean, anime has a dicey history representing black figures and representing, you know, empathetically black voices, so it was good that, overall, I think it was better that... I mean, just looking at Katra, you could see what, like, I mean, even Wufei, like, Wufei, if you're talking about, like, the history between... Japan and China, and, and like you know, Wu Fei isn't. You you see a character like Wu Fei a lot though, like a, someone who is like uh, exotic because they're Chinese. Like um, in in Cardcaptor Sakura, uh, uh, Lee, the one of the main boy protagonists, is is just from China, and so he's got all sorts of. Anyway, Shang Wu Fei really does come off that way though. He we are meant to pick up a bunch of different signifiers, largely like sort of martial arts or, or like uh, uh, spiritualism sort mm-hmm. of signifiers from him. My memory of him as a character is one of like vengeance. Like I, I remember yeah. him being very like frustratingly single minded. Like uh, I, Endless I, Waltz really hones that down with that one scene. So well, that's the one that stands in my memory the greatest. So like Endless Waltz without getting too far into it, it, it does canonize that aspect of his character, I would say. Like I I but from from the show's plot itself, I I don't remember much about Zhang Wufei other than he's looking for vengeance specifically. Um and eventually it ends up with the the main five kind of begrudgingly. Um and then we have Troll Barton, 
Uh, Troy Barton is our last pilot. Uh, he is typically seen kind of wearing nondescript stuff unless he's at the circus, in which case he's wearing his his acrobat outfit. Usually okay, with suspenders. I'm, I'm glad because the only two things I remember about Troy Barton are that he's not really Troy Barton, and also he's, he's literally a clown. Yes, both of those things okay. are correct. They All track. Right. Um, they track. He he is so something I didn't. I guess we won't talk about this now. Actually, um, so but yes, that is correct. Troa Barton is the pilot of Heavy Arms, and we we will know nothing about him basically for the run of the show. He's he's quiet, but sort of as far as the boys go, not the least nice. He's kind of the most similar to Hero. Like he's mm-hmm. in, it, not only in his character bio, but in the way he acts, yeah. except. Uh, he he knows a teeny tiny bit more about how to interact with people than Troa than than Hero does. For someone whose whose primary mission is subterfuge, Hero is very bad at at being under the radar, and Troa <laughs> is the opposite. Yeah, no, I feel like Troa has a bit of that uh, of that Bart from Xenogears sort of issue, where he's like the the wannabe protagonist, the beta fish protagonist. Oh, that's, that's an interesting reading. That's yeah. actually not a bad point, right. though. I think that is. Oh, and something I I, I glossed over. I meant to mention. I, I see uh, when they discuss duo as being, or people discuss duo as being the most similar to a Gundam protagonist i would say catra is the one who is the most similar to right i think catra is the most similar to your your amaro and probably actually camille uh because yeah. i think camille really goes out of his way to be like why are you fighting me right you know, like i don't that's very much catra and you know and, and just as as uh uh fun trivia the 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 man who voices catra in the dub of gundam wing was also the guy who voices amuro right. in the dub yeah, of, i didn't know that yeah, yeah. no I, I picked up on that right away yeah. yeah i forgot that i should say right um uh so moving on those are our five main pilots i i think you know <laughs> with, with, i think a common theme that you've picked up they're all boys uh, they're all young for pilots. It's even for Gundam main characters. They're what are their ages? Um, uh, early teens, late teens? No, I, early teens, middle teens, early teens. I thirteen. Like I, I think they're fifteen. Fifteen to sixteen. I think fifteen is the fifteen to sixteen is. I think because the thing that's notable about all of them is that they are war orphans. All mm-hmm. of them, um, to various degrees, which is like a big. That's going to be. It's something that has always been in the background of Gundam series, but I think in Gundam Wing is where it became like this. This is our good th- thing. It's gonna be babies who who fight. You know, um, uh, they are of. Uh, they, we didn't talk about this, but they're all different nationalities. Um, Hero, I, I assume, is Japanese. Uh, uh, Duo is American. Uh, Catra. Let's let's gloss over it for now. Uh, he is supposed to be quote-unquote arab but let's we'll we'll gloss we'll gloss over it for now because there's story stuff there um troa is supposed to be russian which was i think that sounds right yeah. that's yeah. a, a I mean, surprise to me you know circus I don't know. yeah and shang Fei is chinese chinese yeah. um uh and now let's talk about a little bit of uh, the antagonists a little bit um the members of the organization <laughs> of the zodiac uh, just as a little bit of, we discussed this before the show. I had no idea that Oz was called the Organization of the Zodiac, and people who are familiar with the show will know that all of the mechs under Oz's employee are named after signs in the Zodiac. Uh, did not know that. Did not put that together. I had a galaxy brain moment the 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 second I read Organization of the Zodiac and remembered the names of the mechs. I'm sorry, everyone. 
I didn't remember that or even know that either. I didn't know that, yeah. To me, this was a miles per hour situation where I, I said it out loud and then it, the, like my brain was like, oh, miles per hour, he goes fast. Fuck. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, let's move on to tru- Trey's. 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 That's ridiculous. His name is Trey's Kushranada. <laughs> yes, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm gonna look up such a dignified name. Trues Castroneda. Trace Cushronada. Uh described just I found multiple descriptions of Trace as aristocratic. A man with an aristocratic bearing. Uh, Trey's is going to be our largely the primary antagonist of the series. When I was trying to show my partner uh, a segment of the first episode, I accidentally was like backing it up, and I got to a, like the end of of a Trey's scene from the first episode, and she's like, "Oh, that's a vampire." <laughs> <laughs> that's. I'm like, that's you're not, not, you're not wrong. No, oh, yeah. that's yeah. so good. <laughs> the, uh, the creators adore Trey's. They cannot stop talking about how cool Trey's is. Oh, no. I know. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, so we have Trace, uh, Trues Castronata, <laughs> uh, the antagonist of the series yeah. and also a vampire. As rep- written by Anne Rice. <laughs> representing the organization of the Zodiac in its totality, despite not being the leader when we meet him. Um, my memory of, of him, uh, you know, to, to piggyback off the creators, my memory of him is being very fun to watch. I wonder how true that's going to be. Right, because I think and in, in our collective watch. memory, we associate Trace Cushionada with being one of those magnificent bastard type characters yes, in, the, in the mold of a Revolver Ocelot or... I never watched it, but my understanding is the show Gargoyles has, has much. a character who very much does the same thing. Very much. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's... Trey's, it's going to be a fun topic for us. I think right. we're going to get a lot of uh, enjoyment from Trey's. More on. like Betray's Kushranada. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. Nice. I like that one. Uh, just what I would say, audience, is whenever we're talking about Trace, just keep an image of a guillotine in your mind. Yeah, no, that's that's good, good idea. Um, and moving on, we get to uh, Zex Marquise, a, a member of Oz, also known as the Red. Co- I mean. The Lightning Count. Well, they knew that this show really needed some Zex appeal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I really want to make the let's talk about Zex joke, but someone else has already done Sorry. that. Um, uh, he, is our, he is our obvious reference to uh, Char. Uh, he is the, the, the... I almost called him Shower's Counterattack. That's not his <laughs> name. <laughs> That's not Char's full name. That's ridiculous. It's, it's Osnable. <laughs> No, we'll see. What's Wait, am I pronouncing it Osnable? They always say Osnable. Oh. Uh, so here's one problem. Just I'm bringing this up. Mm-hmm. In Zeta Gundam, he goes under another layer of pseudonym. Of he course. calls himself Quattro Bagina. <laughs> in Zeta Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and there's like a whole big deal in Zeta Gundam. We're like, you know, like you're really Shar. You're really Shar Osnable. But like. To me, I'm so annoyed because I just watched Mobile Suit Gundam, and I know that Shar Aznable was your fake pseudonym for being in the Xeon military right. because your actual name is like Cashval yeah. or something <laughs> ridiculous. It, 
And so we're just under three layers of pseudonym here. And like, what do you just get out? Just do what, call yourself whatever you want. <laughs> well, like, the thing that gets even better is that, like, you know, you know that's not even the end of his no, layers of not. pseudonym. Yeah, it's like it's that, gonna get worse. That, and that's almost that's, maybe we should make that a feature. Is like the yeah. the, the Shar pseudonyms, like right. which is real, which on is the, on the the Shar Asimov terrorism alert scale. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Zex, Zex is our stand-in for a shot. Right. Um, he, we're going to find... Great boots. Oh, his style is immaculate. Yeah. For sure. Uh, I love the way that Char... Char and... Fuck it, I. Zex. <laughs> I, I, can, I know you're talking about Zex, but you're Zex, not saying Zex. <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Zex is, is, in a lot of ways, re- represents uh, a concept that is shared in Sentai of the, like, the sixth ranger, is what it's referred to in Power Rangers, which is someone who isn't part of the main cast, but shares enough qualities with the main cast and often joins at a certain point. Oh, I like that. I never, right. He has, I that, he has a parallel that. structure that carries over, even though he's not really a part of the main group. Yeah, so uh, Amer- you know, uh, American listeners would be familiar with the Green Ranger from Power- Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, who was a villainous character who eventually ended up joining the team. You know, In a lot of ways, those characters end up being the most popular. There's something You're about... Vegeta's, yeah. Well, so... I hesitate to compare it to Vegeta so much because, it, it, particularly in Dragon Ball, Vegeta is the, the the latest at that time in the long line of uh, what if Goku but bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, v- Vegeta. I, I, I yeah, this- yeah. I mean, at the beginning of Dragon Ball Z, you already have a long line of Dragon Ball villains who are now just regular cast members, right? Um, yeah. This is this is just I think how Dragon Ball deals with its its because Dragon Ball was a shonen that that uh, occurred before. The trend of like the the massive pool of characters really solidified itself with Naruto. Naruto is when like my the the all the characters in this series is like my whole class. You know, Naruto really made that popular, mm. and Bleach did it too. And then like culminating now with My Hero Academia, which is literally that my whole class is part of the. In any case, though, you could also argue Gundam Wing is starting to push things forward in that like. You know, I think a lot of the appeal with those sorts of group shows is, you know, it not only am I seeing me, but I'm seeing all my friends in the show. You know, it's like, oh, you're Duo and you're uh, Catra and you're Troa. I think that's a big appeal. If you have a group of friends, it's like, well, go outside and we'll play Gundam now and I'll be, you know, and that's something that you couldn't really do in in War in the Pocket in 8th MS team. (laughs) What's Char's second name from Zeta? Oh, Quattro Vagina. That's Quattro, how I want to be. Yeah, that's I'm Quattro Vagina. You're Shara's novel and um, Cash, Cashfall. Because uh, right, isn't he's actually the son of the uh, of of Tycoon Zeon or whatever, something like that. Yeah, it's, and that's it, the whole point of why he's alienated and uh, exiled, comes back in whatever plot point. You know. Zex. Zex. We I without going too much into it, Zex is going to be yeah. in, in even more so than Trey's one right, of our right, primary right. antagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, and now moving on to, I, I, you know, to me, the most notable character in this lineup, uh, Relina Darlin, a civilian girl who witnesses Hero's descent to Earth. She is tries to save him multiple times. <laughs> oh, 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 often. That's like the primary conflict of the series, I feel like, is maybe, yeah. I mean, we'll get into it. But yeah. that, that's like what I kind of want to remember is that like a primary plot thread through every phase of the show. Well, so he's he's... She constantly tries to interact with him without a real motivation to do so, really. Um, uh, And I think part of what eggs her on is the 
clownish overreaction that that hero produces every single time you know without getting to we're going to talk about it in in our next episode but like the way he reacts to how relina attempts to like uh someone good at his job would not react at the way that he decides to <laughs> he decides to handle that situation um he's perpetually slipping on banana peels Oh in yeah, public. he's he's very much um in the con in the like pursuit of his goal. He's basically like Hero Yui is basically like sideshow Bob stepping on rakes yeah. like constantly. Um, but Relina, a Kelsey Grammer voice, Hero Yui, that would be interesting. <laughs> That's mostly what I remember is the the sideshow Bob grumble after every rake. Um, here, but Relina, you know, uh, obviously. Relina is going to be one of our main characters. She's uh, after this encounter, it's going to force her into further encounters in this ongoing drama that this war is. And, you know, as we'll, we dive into the show, we're going to discuss more of that. I think it's interesting to note how Gundam Wing, uh, you know, we, we've all watched the first episode, how much it's not a obvious conflict. It's not a, like, aggressor force. It, it's, you know, Gundam Wing... It, it, it just looking at the outset with a, a, a Netflix or Hulu style uh, summary. Uh, it's who knows. <laughs> it's hard to say. We just know that there are five pilot Gundams. There is a, a oppositional force called Oz, uh, and there are some civilians who are going to be caught in between. Uh, so now that we've introduced some of the main players, let's talk about what we're going to be doing here at Mechanation. Uh, today was our sort of an intro episode zero. You can even call it our pilot episode. Uh, where we n- now have introduced the history of the show, introduced a lot of the main players, and introduced what we're going to be bringing to the table each. From the future, what we're going to be doing is looking at the show in three-episode intervals. Each week, we're going to be looking at three episodes at a time, leading up to, at this time, as we discussed previously, the I believe the 26th episode of the series, about literally halfway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we get there, we're going to wrap up and we're going to discuss our thoughts about this first half. Uh, and from there, we're probably going to move on to another shorter project, probably, depending yeah. on what we end up with. We're, we'll, as we proceed through, we'll, we'll keep you guys uh, uh, in touch insofar as what our thinking is. Uh, so next week, we'll be looking at episodes one, two, and three. Uh, that will be a, sh- a, a pure discussion episode we're going to be looking at. What happens, we'll summarize all three episodes and uh, break down how we think of it so far. So, Anything you guys wanted to add? Well, I think as we're as we're rolling out here, uh, sometimes yeah, you can tell we like we like some goofs, and so what we're going to be doing is probably getting you know f- sort of other people's opinions on what these things. As you can tell, all three of us are very much uh, inside the cultural phenomenon that was Gundam Wing in, in the year two thousand. Uh, but you know, some of us have have partners who weren't, weren't really so much there, and so we thought we would kind of uh, show them uh, that. And we're going to give you bits and pieces of that. So today, we're just going to give you uh, the feedback on the eponymous uh, Gundam Wing uh, Heroes suit. And I'm going to start off. Well, before we get up? going, what do we what do we want to call this? We want to call this Mecha, according to our partners, or. Uh, uh, suits our partners wear or what, what how would we like to refer to this segment? i like the uh, former i think it has a nicer cadence mecca according to our partners yeah yeah, yeah I'll, so I'll this go is with the, that. our first first edition of mecca according to our partners uh i showed my partner a image of gundam wing and she christened it goldbird, goldbird. 
Sounds like a Pokemon. And then I later told her the names of the Gundams after she had given me names. And she said, I didn't think there would be an actual Gundam called Gundam Wing. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Oh, I love that. Oh, uh, Steven, why don't you go next? Uh, mine sounds like a Mega Man character in retrospect. Uh, she said, after showing her a picture of Gundam Wing, robot scissor hands. His <laughs> arms look like scissors. <laughs> okay. These are excellent. Get, I love these Get a equipped lot. with scissor hands. Scissor hands. Gundam scissor hands. Uh, all right. So my partner, I also introduced my, my partner to the Wing Gundam. Uh, and uh, what they came up with was Gundam... The first answer was X, Gundam X, and then the second answer was Gundam Fancy X. Oh. Uh, so Gundam Fancy X, I believe, is the the my, I'm going to refer to the Wing Gundam as Gundam Fancy X. I wish they did that with Endless Waltz. All the customs they just inserted fancy in there. Fancy, yes, I Death agree. Sight if, fancy. I, I, so I think of the three. I I gotta. I think Goldbird is yeah. my favorite. Yeah, I think. All right. I, I gotta. Good. Uh, I will. I will. I will tell her that she she won this week. Yeah, Gold, Fancy X. I, you know, my partner was a little bit. Uh, you know, a l- full disclosure, my, my partner also is into anime and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so she's familiar with, she recognized the signifiers of the Wing Gundam as being the main one because it's jeweled and it has that sort of red, white, and blue motif that Gundams hilariously have. Um, you know, so she recognized that it was the main one, which is why she went with X, which, you know, funny enough, that's a different series. Yes. Uh, but, you And know. the follow-up series. Right, right. It's the one that follows, if I remember uh, but yeah, no, I, I think Goldberg. <laughs> I think it reminds me a lot of Goldbug. The well, uh, and that's just what you'll be from now on, Goldbug. Goldbug. Um, it's it's. Wait, what's that from? That is from a fan parody ah. of Transformers called "The Rude Awakening of Optimus Prime." Oh. Yeah. So at that point, you mean just for a te- the teeniest bit of context for uh, something completely unrelated to our podcast, uh, Optimus Prime is revived, and at the same time, another character receives a new identity and mm. and it happens to be uh, uh right bumblebee it's bumblebee becomes gold bug and then <laughs> but like the character in the parody is like well why i'm i'm still bumblebee yeah. like just call me bumblebee and optimus prime is no that's just what you'll be from now on gold, gold bug, bug. <laughs> uh which i think comes up you know it's it's interesting to me uh that i i don't remember the the trajectory but this is relevant i think this idea of transformers being refreshed because because it is a toy line I do recall some of the Gundams being refreshed later in the series. I specifically recall um, uh, Wu Fei's Gundam. I think definitely gets a refresh before the end of the series. I, I remember. I think it's a different one. You mean in in the series itself? In the series itself. Yes. So yes. two, two, no, three. No, I guess all of them do. All of them do. Well, I know, yeah. like I know, Wing becomes Wing Zero, right? right. Like, that's a that's a big one. Well, but. so there's that one. Um, Heavy Arms definitely does, although it's a it's a small thing. Yeah. Um, Sandrock is the big question mark for me because I, right. I I believe it does also, but it's not visually obvious. Yeah. Death Scythe definitely. Sure. And uh, Wu Fei is definitely to, right, to be right. Right. So that'll yeah, but that'll be that'll be down the road. So it's not you know again not wrong to bring a little little Transformers lore here. Right. So uh, I think that's a good time to wrap up. I, I think we've basically uh, handled everything we wanted to in this, our, our intro zero episode. Uh, so next time we're going to be discussing episodes one, two, and three. Uh, so signing out, I am uh, Ignis Maddox. Uh, Steven Kushranata signing out. <laughs> I wanted to use the secondary Sharnie. I couldn't remember it, though. I am um, PMC Trilogy. You can call me Lieutenant Quattro Bagina. Ah, Bagina. Uh, y- you can find me. <laughs> you can find me online at PMC Trilogy on both Twitch and Twitter. 
And my advice to you is keep your friends close, keep your space colonies closer. All right, have a good one.